Hey there, welcome to Broadcast to Post. I'm Jeff Sengpil, CTO at Keycode Media. This is the show where we interview leaders and experts in the AV, broadcast, and post-production spaces. We're giving you the inside tips to grow your media workflows and business today. Awesome, everybody, let's uh, get started. We're gonna be talking about getting into a campus-wide video strategy, the future of education. Um, on the panel today, thank you, thank you. Uh, panel today, uh, we've got Darren Brown with Western Washington, Scott Vick with Washington State, and I only have three names because my my sh list is short. Um, and Robert Clark. To be determined. Yes, to be determined. This is what happens when I open up the old cached version. Cloud fun. Um, let's get into, into introductions. Uh, Darren, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing at um, at Western Washington? Uh, my name is Darren Brown. I run the Digital Media Center, which is a TV studio on campus at Western Washington. I'm originally born and raised in the Twin Island Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. Um, so we have an academic mission, which we support all students of any major to come and do video content in our TV studio. Um, we got a green screen psych, white psych. We have a green screen floor, courtesy pro psych, um, lights, full HD studio, um, which we're planning to upgrade in the future. And um, I've been doing this for six, six years? Yeah, six years. Uh, with Western Washington University, and I've previously been a professor at the universities before coming here. Awesome. Scott, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your team? Sure. So my name is Scott Vick. Uh, I oversee the global campus media team for Washington State University. Um, adult education, online learning kind of stuff is what we do. Typically, a professor or a subject matter expert would come to us with an idea, and they have determined that media would be a great way to convey that educational message, engage the student, etc. And so then my team creates whatever they thought they had in their head. We make a video media out of that and then integrate that whole thing into a learning environment and all that kind of stuff. Excellent. And Robert, tell us a little about yourself. I'm Robert Clark. I'm the manager of video services. I work closely with Darren. I do a lot of the external videos within the university as well as uh, instructional design and during the pandemic I was the Zoom czar of Western and so I ended up becoming uh, the go-to guy for many of the Zoom events as well as the hybrid events that have come along since then. Which is it's always fun to end up with new and better stuff to do. Not necessarily better but more right. stuff to do. Uh, so let's get into the really exciting stuff. Wires. Um, so once upon a time we were completely dependent upon coaxial cables getting images from point to point for us. Um, then we got uh, then we got into uh, things with processing them to try to get them to point C. So that made life a little difficult when it comes to getting video across an entire campus. So we now have IP-based video or packetized video, um, as I like to call it. It's made signal flow and distribution much easier. There's AV over IP, there's Dante, there's NDI, there's 2110, there's 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, most people don't know about that. Um, can you tell us about your uh, most recent campus projects and the underlying technology choices you've been working on for the last few years? Robert, let's start with you. Sure. Um, as I mentioned, we've been doing Zoom quite a bit and 
in a funny sort of way, that was a major technological shift for us because primarily we were a Microsoft-based campus. And to some extent, without you know sounding too negative, uh, Teams initially just wasn't ready for the the load of online education with the start of the pandemic. Might not still be. Yeah, well, anyway. And so the goal was to utilize the resources that we had, and that major initiative just was a lot right there, even though mm, it may not be thought of as a, a standard strategic sort of thing. It was for us because prior to this, we were not an online campus. We weren't doing much distance ed and never had really. And so this raised our profile quite a bit ac across the entire school and made it so that we could create something new and was more beneficial to students in the near future. Awesome. Uh, Darren, anything to add to that? Uh, we took a different path uh, in terms of uh, upgrading technology. We used the LTN Live to Cloud to capture our professors who were, let's say, technologically challenged, um, where we, we would record them through their browser. We would cut up whatever the interview or the class was and send it out um, over the cloud or via Google Drive. That's how we distribute most of the stuff. So they can uh, have their classes go that way. Or if the professor came in, we shoot everything behind screens because everybody had on a mask and screens with the cameras and all that stuff. Um, do the post on it, uh, put in all the titles and send it out to them uh, in that case. So it was a big technological jump because we are not a campus that was used to it. So it was basically retraining everybody how to teach their class and not be death by PowerPoint. Understandable, and, and I believe we're using the terms um, subject matter focused as opposed to technologically challenged. They're, they're, they're doing something else. We don't, don't worry about the tech. Um, and uh, Scott, what, what technology things have been coming up for you of late? Sure. Um, the student side, students got the technology. What the challenge was, and the pandemic kind of forced professors into doing that as they had, they were subject matter experts. Now they had to know how to do some stuff as well. And Zoom really helped in that equation. It was pretty simple, hit a couple buttons and away you go. The students already kind of knew how to log in and, and do some stuff online. But the real twist for us was getting the professors, the subject matter experts to be able to get online as well. And Zoom was the tool that made all that stuff happen. So if everybody could connect back and forth and you know, we already had some systems, some chat systems built in place, but now everybody had to go virtual and this is a great way to make that make it happen. So it sounds like the, the basic challenge there was scale and, and technological understanding. It brings to mind that video we probably all saw in the early pandemic of the, the courtroom proceeding where the lawyer has the cat filter on and, Your Honor, I'm, my assistant's trying to turn it off. So um, that makes things a little uh, more, more fun, I guess. Um, so as schools have upgraded their coverage technology, around things like um, sports and other campus-wide broadcasts. Um, has this changed the dynamic of attendees to things like campus events, uh, sporting events, concerts, um, you know, drama, all, all that sort of stuff? Has, what strategies have you, have you been implementing to try to improve quality and, and uh, 
and the quality of content that's produced at the uh, at, at your campuses and what improvements would you like to make as the technology develops? Scott, we'll start with you on that one. Yeah, well, so thankfully we kind of had already a system in place. It's called, it's called Global Connection, so global students could feel connected to some of the events going on on campus. Uh, sports is pretty limited because the rights are already bought by somebody else, but the music department is doing a concert. We could stream that, and now the global students feel connected to that. And really, we have just tried to maintain our technology to the current standard, so we're doing stuff in 720p, 1080i, 1080p, and we just kind of keep going so the end result is something pretty good and the technology has become cheaper and has, has increased the quality level both at kind of the same time. So the students getting a pretty good bang for the buck and they're seeing some stuff that's produced at a, at a fairly high level. More, more ubiquitous and, and you had something interesting happen at, at your commencement this year, right? Yeah, so pretty cool and so that was kind of one thing I was going to say is so um, Global Campus is kind of a unique audience and that you can be from wherever and participate and get your degree and stuff. And so the clip Jeff's gonna show right here. This is at our global commencement, which just happened last week. And so we do a face-to-face -face event Jose. and we also do a hybrid event. So this person right here who got his degree joined us from the hospital room where his wife just gave birth to her newborn son. So the kind of the message is that uh, we were kind of getting there. The pandem pandemic pushed us even farther to where really hybrid is a pretty significant thing that we all do. And you can, in the message there and on that videos, you can join from anywhere. And it's a, it, that, that was a pretty heartwarming and compelling kind of little clip right there. So pretty cool. And then hybrid has really got us to where we're doing both face-to-face -face and we're bringing people in from anywhere in the world to do that kind of stuff. Awesome. Um, Robert, are you seeing any of that? Oh. Um, yeah, very definitely. In fact, after the pandemic sort of eased, we started doing more hybrid events where we would do a Zoom webinar and uh, in-person event. And sometimes the, the metrics were mm, 10 to 15, 20 people in the room, 300 watching online. And so what we've been trying to do is get beyond the breadboard stage where literally we were just sort of taking the tools that we had and running on the fly and building these things and figuring out what the limitations of the webinar was and then figuring out, okay, now I need a switcher. Now I need closed captioning. Now I need picture into picture for ASL. And all those other elements had to occur in the meantime while we were servicing the ongoing mega need. I mean, we, we were doing one of these hybrid events uh, starting this morning at 7.30. So it's, it's a, just an ongoing basis for both the academics as well as the administration. And again, we don't work as much with athletics directly, but I know that they've been doing that same sort of thing as well. Well, and I think also the time of the event, 7.30, if I could just roll over and turn on Zoom as opposed to get up and get dressed and go over there, that's, well, that's a compelling reason to still attend. Indeed, but at the same time, our school prides itself on that face-to-face -face connection, so it's been really challenging because they would rather have the students, faculty, and staff there in person, but many of the viewers are voting as they would by the ease, the convenience, and they're choosing to log in, so that's a major culture tussle going on at the moment. Definitely. Um, 
So we, we kind of touched on this before with remote learning and, and, and online learning or distance education is, is it's commonly called in the industry. Um, how have you seen a complete, has there been a complete shift in the way the classrooms operate um, since technology has kind of come a lot more to the fore with hybrid tools? Um, Darren, you want to jump in on that one? Uh, there's been somewhat of a shift um, slowly because we're an in-person institution uh, primarily. Um, so I had, I was teaching a business, business class with a professor and we had uh, the classrooms are gradually changing over and all this is due to budget and all that good stuff um, to, to that model. Um, my only complaint was when I teach, I move along a lot. And, you know, so I was explaining this concept. Uh, they were doing business ads um, for marketing. And the computer's here. The technology of the, the camera is catching up to me, <laughs> but not. So folks who were there had more of an impact. So I had to be like, oh, and just dive back in front of the, the computer with the camera. So yes, there's that shift, but there's also the other shift where folks are coming back. Um, so you know those who have, are immunodeficient or have those those issues, why they're not coming back? Or some professors that may do half online and half in class, uh, that seems to be more prevalent now. Have you started to see any any instances where you've got the majority of the class in person? And for whatever reason, the instructor is actually at home. Yes. Yeah, today. that was the nature of the, the class that we were doing yep. today and and, guest, and last Tuesday. They actually had a guest professor from the East Coast somewhere teaching the class in real time. And so all the students were, well, not all, but most of the students were there in the digital media center. And we actually have a photo of this. And it's, it's really cool to have the ability to bring in somebody from anywhere in the world and tie them into just for an hour. I mean, you could never fly this person economically from A to B, and yet here he is giving this information to uh, our students. But I think you really hit the nail on the head that one. It's We've seen a significant increase of bringing subject matter experts in that are not on campus. So like we're doing a master's in healthcare administration and leadership. Pretty cool that they can bring in leaders in the field into this to teach their their topic about learning or leadership. I mean, it, it really changes the mix of who actually can be teaching where because it's no longer you don't have to you don't have to worry about parking. Frankly, <laughs> I mean, exactly it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Well, and if I may, the one of the things that I noticed is as soon as everybody went to online, so that was forced, and then as soon as they could, they came all back, and then there was this sort of rubber band snapping that said, "Okay, now never again will I ever use Zoom," and so now the pendulum is sort of swinging in the middle and saying, okay, no, actually, Zoom is okay, Teams or whatever even is okay for certain things, such as what we're doing now. Well, and the, the interesting thing there is that was in a studio. So are mm -hmm. you seeing the classroom oh, technology definitely. itself begin to get to the point where mm -hmm. this sort of hybrid model is easily implemented? One of the side benefits for our school is that we were able to install PTZ cameras, OWL cameras, or simple uh, Logitech cameras in all of the general university classrooms, whereas before, it was a one-off thing. You'd had to bring in a 
piece of a gear and plug it in, and now that's a standard uh, equipment in not just the current installs, but all the future ones as well. Scott, is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, so kind of a unique situation to us is so we've had subject matter experts all over the country, and so we've developed a kit we could send them. So if they've got a crappy webcam or a microphone or something, one we can send them to, that stuff to them, and two we make them check before they do an hour lecture. Let's make your shop looks good and you've got all the stuff going on before you, you spend all the time doing that. So yes, yeah, so we try to do a little quality control at the head end, but nail on the head as well is that's really the first mile is the biggest challenge is getting those guys to have some pretty high quality stuff. Once they get to us, we can make it look pretty good and do some stuff. But if there's crap going in, then garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, not much um, we can do. And I think one of the challenges there is, you know, if you've got 40 classes that happen to begin at 8 a.m., Mm -hmm. Getting all of those people, you know, checked out and making sure everything's all set, that's, that's a little bit more than the resources that most normal folks would have in the department. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so we do, a, we, you, you got to really pre-plan and do a lot of pre-production kind of stuff before you tell the person, okay, you're good to go. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so the, the one thing we did see there, your digital media center, so that the, technically that is your studio, right? Yep. Um, so what are you seeing in terms of improvements in your studio technology to help with just overall in terms of, of um, you know, the technology flow for all aspects of video on the campus? Um, so we support the entire campus. So it's, it's not restricted to a particular major. So 16,000 students, that's, that's us. If they decide to all come in one day, we're in trouble. Um, but in terms of technology, thanks to you guys installing some stuff. <laughs> um, so we updated to put in an SNS server, which four departments use, including our marketing department, um, Robert's department, and us, um, to store our stuff. We just installed, uh, had installed the Rostria. Um, so since I started working here, I've slowly been moving them towards IP. So uh, we are interested in creating a hybrid model. Um, and Tom, if he's here today, um, he's upstairs somewhere. He's upstairs somewhere. <laughs> um, he's helped us, you know, work out the engineering and the king. So the goal is to have a hybrid uh, SMT 2010 uh, coax um, model because we don't want to tear out all of that stuff that we put in over the years and moving to a UHD 4K studio, because honestly, the students are bringing in 4K on their phones, and to be able to handle that. Um, streaming, uh, we've done a lot of that, not including this, this day, we've done it before with, um, uh, with local entities like uh, Campus Housing had a show that they did live stream and all that stuff pre-pandemic. And we also installed an LTN uh, LEAF. Um, so that model I pushed for, so one of the professors, he appeared as an expert on CNBC, uh, Fox Business, PBS. So we did those shows very early in the morning, like 3 a.m., because all the studios are East Coast. So we were able to record those shows and send it via the LTN transport box um, with minimal latency. Um, I get paid for it. 
<laughs> nice. Well, and you're always going to get a little bit of latency. I mean, we can't, yep. as was mentioned in one of the earlier panels, we can't defy the laws of physics as much as we would love to. Yeah. Um, th this raises an interesting question, and it comes from um, doing a few um, walkthroughs at different campuses for myself. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing um, having to implement legacy technology a lot later because it just happens to be par for the course. I saw a brand new building um, at a university in, in California where they had 150 standard telephone lines. And that's not something like a normal business would do these days. So are you seeing anything in terms of legacy technology that you have to still support because it's just always been there or there's perhaps certain things in terms of code? Scott, you want to jump on that one first? Yeah, so I'll start a little bit. Um, yes, we have. And that's the typical challenge, especially with state kind of funded institutions, I would be my two cents, is they don't have the budget necessarily that we would hope they would have. And so, yeah, we're ha constantly having to deal with keeping old stuff and integrating it with the new stuff. Well, and the money that came together to provide for the Digital Media Center was... Mm, not a lot, let's say, and it was all put together in 2010. And here we are 13 years later, and they're looking at us going, well, it's gonna live forever, right? And so it's, it's taken a lot of effort on our part, politically, to not just say, we need to change this out because it's dying or old or whatever, but the, the generations, we've actually missed an entire generation of broadcast quality equipment, and so, it becomes more and more of a museum piece as the day goes on. Well, and it's a, it's a larger leapfrog to get to the latest and greatest um, because sometimes the, that intermediary step that you missed no longer exists. We don't do that. We're all cabled with SDI cables, like, like he was saying. And so theoretically, we may end up gutting all those and replacing them, which not only is a major cost, but at the same time, to an average non-broadcast administrator. Well, those are perfectly fine cables. Their life expectancy is 25, 30 years. You know, you should just be able to leave them there forever. Well, it, it, it doesn't normally work that way, but at the same time, many of the folks that make the decisions aren't in the, in the queue as to us as far as where the industry is or even where it's going. Definitely. Are, are any of you seeing virtual production tools make things easier in terms of how you're dealing with um, around the campus and instructional video? In terms of, we haven't ventured to instructional video, but in terms of around campus, it has made an impact in how we produce stuff and done stuff. Um, and at first, honestly, I was on the Unreal Engine train. I was like, all right, we have to get this stuff. It's like, got to spend about $5,000 on one of the, the uh, sensors mm -hmm. so they can pick up and be, be in a virtual environment. And I still am just in the degree. So one of my colleagues sent this young man to me because she's like, he's going to get bored here. So they sent him to me. And for the, pro for the cost of getting a virtual set and having that installed from whatever maker, he does all of this in Blender. And a $35 app um, on an iPad called CamTrack AR and done. So 
a machine that we would have to get probably five years ago that was seventy thousand dollars it's been reduced to we can get this done right here right now whether with a phone or your ipad 3.99 a month and you can pay annually if you want that that subscription services right uh, Scott, are you seeing any anything in terms of virtual production? Yes, yeah, so, so VR is a huge deal. Uh, it's got some pretty significant learning engagement possibilities, and it's a pretty cool cool tool. The challenge is how to kind of break into it. There's some pretty significant costs in getting professors to create some of that media, but it's got some pretty significant potential. The challenge for us is it's pretty easy for a professor or subject matter expert to do philosophy one or one or whatever. That's just text reading and stuff. It's another thing to do a virtual lab for a biology kind of course and stuff. Would be pretty cool, or it is pretty cool if you can turn, turn some of that into virtual reality, but making that leap is a pretty significant one. So yeah, do you do virtual sets and is somebody wearing goggles? And then, yeah, the can of worms is pretty significant. And then, especially to me, is how do you expand that into the global audience? So you've got some kid who's in whatever, some small town in California who's getting his degree from Washington State University, needs to do a virtual or a lab class. How do they do that virtually? That's the real challenge. Uh, just to, to add on to that, so pre-pandemic, we, we partnered with one of the student technology centers on campus, and we had a VR unit in our studio. Um, so the engineer and I, at the time, we connected it to our switcher. So using that in combination with the green screen we took the environments from the games um, and used it for production so i try to push the boundaries a little bit sometimes a little bit too far for the administrators to understand i was like what are you doing um but this is where the the students sort of push that envelope and we've tried all sorts of things with the controllers and stuff and and uh, which, <laughs> to our chagrin, um, not getting what we want, but we've been able to produce shows on it. And, you know, future for this student is to, um, I won't give his name because I want him to work for me a little bit longer, um, <laughs> is, is to have these projects come out generated by them and have this additional skill when they leave. Um, and I've had success with students leaving and working for media companies from me just like finance and just decided that I want to do video. You know. and, and just really quickly, one of the strategies that I think this has also helped us with, not only do the students get something out of it, but it also is sort of a backdoor method to educating the faculty and the administration as to the uses, the possibilities, the, the pedagogy, if you will, of, of trying some of these things out in a more formal way. They see the student interest, they see the excitement, and the engagement of them willing to put in hours on something that have, doesn't have a grade. And then they go, wait a minute now, maybe that'll have some value to my course or what have you. So there's a lot of carryover that way if you, if you try to phrase it right. And, and one of the things I ran into, I just went through a virtual set based on Unreal training course and you know, nice brand new computers trying to do it. I wasn't built for it. Some of the younger folks who were in that class who had gaming computers running rings around around it because they're able to their their machines had the power to, to do this because they're designed to do 
that sort of rendering on a daily basis. And my machine's like, yeah, yeah nice try. Uh, no, you're not keeping it. So you kind of hit on it. So you use the word game, the word game. and so tied to virtuality is gamification is kind of the new one out there. So what we found is if you can engage the students' virtual reality and the students of this day and age, games is a big deal, video games and all that kind of stuff. If you can incorporate a game into virtual reality and their learning, you've hit, hit a home run. Yep, definitely. Um, one, one last thing to kind of close out the category. Um, are you video needs for non-instructional? So, um, you know, staff communications, um, staff training, which is defi definitely different than, um, than the ask for regular, you know, classroom instructional sort of stuff. Are you seeing you're using the same tools or is, a is there still a differentiation there between the tools used for internal communications and communications to students or student-centric events? Not so much a difference in the tools as the application. I mean, the, the faculty and the staff tend to have longer productions. And again, they're trying to thread the needle between live in-person events where you would sit at a table and come up with something individually, or collectively, I should say, as well as serving the dozens, if not hundreds, of people that are watching online. And so I've told people it's like riding two different bicycles at the same time. And it, it gets really challenging to try and service both of those groups simultaneously live, both technologically as well as perceived uh, content-wise. Sounds like you're saying we need to fix it in post. Well, and there isn't any post if it's a live webinar. That, that's true. Yeah. We can, we, can, we can service almost anything you want. Just it looks a lot better after I edit it together for yep. the future people to watch it. There. Um, uh, I tackle it on a two-pronged approach. So just as we were coming out of the pandemic, I had 20 student staff. Guess what? Everybody graduated. So I had to train everybody all over again. Um, not that I don't love the ones that I do have. So uh, one day I did in person, um, walked everybody through each piece of gear and what they would run into and sort of onboarding everyone and had them make a show themselves so they could see everything work. Uh, and then for the, the online stuff, you know, we have Teams, we have Zoom, we have all that stuff. And you know, you want to communicate, which is a regular thing, which is email. Students don't check their email. So um, I went through, there was a shoot and they forgot how to do the green screen on our switcher. So I was called on FaceTime. And then like any other questions or anything like that came from Discord. Because apparently, you know, we're not going to use school systems. We're anti <laughs> Um So I was able to walk them through by looking at it. Um, from somebody's phone and but the other key thing is I am connected to all the machines in the studio um, through TeamViewer um, so even if I they press the wrong button I can just hit that so um, using the tools has helped in explaining to folks when I can't be there whether it's a meeting whether it's a pandemic or otherwise so it's it's increased um, the knowledge and the production and even down to routers, um, it helps. I, I read, did a router to do ISOs. Um, student watched me and is like, oh, we have another production, but I just need it 
go into a program and he did it by himself from looking at. So there are good points and bad points, but right now I'm dealing with the mostly good, which I like. <laughs> so using the, using the instructional tools to have people create more instructional tools. Mm -hmm. Scott, what do you think? Well, I was gonna say, so for internal kind of communication stuff, we just increase the production value, add a little more whiz bang to it because of the volume of the learning stuff, of talking head professor kind of stuff. We just don't have the manpower resources to kind of devote to that. And to be honest, I don't know that you get a whole lot of bang for the buck if it's just a talking head of professor trying to explain a concept. If as long as it looks okay, he can convey the message. If I'm trying to train somebody how to do something, I, I want to capture their attention because they maybe don't have to be there, that kind of thing. And I think that's, that's the interesting thing there. Sometimes you, you need to capture their attention, but other people, they need to be able to get through it done, get through it quicker. Because in doing some technical training in, in the business, there'll be some times where I'll go in and I'll, I'm gonna increase this to 150%. Mm -hmm. I can just play the talking head in the background faster and I'm able to absorb the material exactly. and catch, because you know it's, it's industry stuff, so it's not too derivative of what I already know. But other times you're like, I, I need to be fully focused and paying attention. Exactly. And that, you, you've that, got, that's the fun part about it. Yeah, you've got students and just like you, you've got people who are invested in the process. They're paying me our tuition money to learn these concepts and get a degree. So they're invested in it. They're gonna watch the video because they need to watch the video to get their degree. Conversely, the police department's trying to recruit some interns. We wanna make a little more whiz bang, capture their attention. And it also leads to, um, looking at it from the, the, the way that you want to, as my friend says, you want to get to happy hour faster <laughs> um, just to get things done. And in most cases, we are the staff person or it's a one-man band, one-woman band trying to run everything. And if you're training, you want to get to the point. It's like, I know the intro stuff, but I need to have this piece work. You know, so I, I think um, so you can please the masses and let them get what they need to have and get it done. It, that, that's kind of like the I need to find out something. So I search on YouTube and then it's what I need to know is 20 seconds worth of material. But I've got three minutes of you telling me what you're going to tell me and then <laughs> wrapping up at the end. I, I don't care about that stuff and I'm not going to like and subscribe either. So the beauty is you look at the bottom of the YouTube and you see where everybody else has started the video at. And you can actually see, and I've seen this in some of our own products, where as much as we put in time and effort into the intro and the graphics and everything, people just zip to the point they wanted to learn. And, and there's a lot more user or, or student-driven focus, basically. They say, this is what I want, and the rest of it is nice, but it's not what they focus on. This is the good thing about having educators up here. I have now learned something for today. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Just rather be dense. A lot of things we've been done doing recently is Adobe's got like text to speech or speech to text, that kind of stuff. So transcripts, so students can do a search and find some keywords and get to, right to the meat of where they want to be. And yeah, really and, and the thing that's interesting is you know coming from the the media and entertainment space and broadcast space. We always thought of that as, well, I'm gonna search for alternate takes or I'm gonna do this. That's, you know, I need to find the word ecclesiastical. Right. And that, that's gonna be pretty easy to find because I just type it in and there it is. Exactly. Back it up 30 seconds, off we go. 
Pretty cool. So yeah, new ways to consume educational content. Yeah, that's that's the fun part. Anybody have any final things they want to say? It's an exciting era. We haven't even talked about AI, which gets back to the speech to text or text editing, text-based editing that is also available from Adobe now. I saw that and it's just amazing where you can, you don't know, time code, heck, you just have the, the sentence or the phrase and puts it on the timeline in a, in, in a sequence and boom, you're done. So that that's a very interesting question because the last panel we we wrapped up with a discussion about AI and a lot of people are a lot of people who've been in the industry for a while are in the, oh my God, it's gonna take my job mindset. So what are you seeing in terms of how students who are learning about this technology right now are reacting to what AI brings to the table? They're just soaking it in. I mean, to them, it's second nature. They're using it just like we, I mean, me, I'm old enough to where a cell phone was a brand new thing and it took a while to get used to. My nephew doesn't know a time when there wasn't a cell phone. And same thing with the, the students, not necessarily right now, but just in a year or two, they'll have always had AI in some form, even if they didn't know it, and especially now that it's become more popular and, and front, you know, in front of everybody's face. Uh, so, and it's the instance of that. We had a, we were hosting a production class um, from Fairhaven College, which is a part of West End. And the professor was like, it's a production class, so we're not gonna focus on writing. Chat GPT, they wrote a scene, and they were producing it the next day in the studio. So, I mean, it has the benefits of helping move things on and helping get to the point that you wanna to get to. Um, and, you know, the students that work for me is like, oh, well, we could use this and do that. I was like, I mean, use it as a skeleton and you build off of that. You know, it's not gonna be exactly perfect and you can't use it as is, but build off of that. So we're also hosting a 48 hour competition, film competition next week for the university. And uh, the question was asked, can we use AI? I was like, go ahead, you know, because you still have to produce that. You might write the bit, but you have to make it look good enough to win that first place or second place or third place. So uh, it's sort of embrace it. And in terms of instructional technology, companies are already developing tools to detect AI when students write papers and stuff like that. Yeah, I was gonna say, we just like the panel before us talked about really AI, we're using it to do the redundant kind of task stuff. So color correcting or that kind of stuff. Just hit a button or image enhancement, that's a big one for us. And the interesting thing there is also, you know, you said they're, they're using it to create scripts mm -hmm. because the scripts aren't important for what this class is about, but we've got a you know a major union on strike right now because of mm -hmm. some of the threats from AI technology. So it's just interesting to see what people see as redundant or um, extra tasks that are not part of their job and where where things would fit. It it the best example I can give you is when drones were brand new and more commercially available. The state of Washington basically forbid state university employees, as well as state employees, period, from using drones until it, quote, figured out the ethics of them. And so we were unable to use a drone for our jobs, but the students could, and the students did. And so there are some times when 
new technology comes along and is very disruptive, it isn't like, it isn't a disruptive thing. I'm not saying it isn't disruptive, but at the same time, your question was, what do the students think about it? The students just use it. Cool, let me use this. Yeah. I think the interesting thing, and I don't have the answer to the question necessarily, but it's what's gonna happen with chat GPT when it comes to answering tests or writing an essay for a class. Does a professor consider that cool, a cool tool to use, or are they gonna flag you and call BS on that? Yeah. That's and Darren's right. There, there, there's major concern within the academic community that students would misuse the tool, just like they glommed onto Wikipedia, Google Chat, or I'm sorry, Google Search, and, and such like back in the day when they were brand new because somehow this was changing the dynamic and the dynamic adopts to the changes. Yes, and, and the, the other thing also I've seen there is if you're using chat GPT to write an essay, you're doing it because you either A, don't have the time, or you, you just don't want to make the effort, which also means you're not going to go in and check for the problems. <laughs> and those will become evident instantly, because I've used chat GPT for a couple things, and if you're not paying attention to what it's kick, kicking out, sometimes you, you can find out that it just lied like a rug to you. And that's, that's something that the students remain ignorant of, then it's going to be still detectable, and, and I think that'll be an interesting part. It's, it's when it gets further down the line, I think we're going to have some troubles and, and, and ethical questions at that point. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, I also like it that the, um, we answered the question about AI, and then my matrix screensaver, screensaver came up. <laughs> it knew. It, it wanted us out. Uh, folks, thanks for joining me today on the panel. Thank you. And, um, you know, everybody, thanks for, for hanging out for us and uh, learning about education and the future of uh, all this technology in, in, in video. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for watching Broadcast to Post. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive future episodes. Follow Keycode Media on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to receive news on additional AV, broadcast, and post-production technology content. See you next time, folks.